Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Hello. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to give a little trigger warning. Today's episode uh, deals with topics of pregnancy and pregnancy loss. And I know that this can be a really difficult issue for a lot of people. So you know yourself better than anyone. If this is something you feel like you need to skip, that's no problem. Give it a miss and we'll see you again next week. Hello and welcome to Basically, I'm your host Stephanie Preisner and today I have uh, another episode uh, requested by you guys um, about perinatal mental health. Peri from the Greek word meaning around or about or enclosing, so anything to do with pregnancy. Uh, And with me in studio to discuss this is Professor Anthony McCarthy, who is this consultant psychiatrist at the National Maternity Hospital. Professor, thank you so much for joining me in studio. My pleasure. Um, so there's an awful lot to discuss here and we have uh, listener questions as well that I think we should get to. But first of all, when we approached the hospital to, to do this podcast, I, in my innocence, were asked for a psychologist rather than a psychiatrist because I was under the illusion that pharmacology or psychiatric medicine would not be compatible with pregnancy that you couldn't like if you can't take codeine during pregnancy then surely you can't take the psychiatric medicine but obviously I was wrong and that's why you were here today can you tell me why I was wrong or is that is that a belief that a lot of people have it's funny um if you're apologizing for the naivety of your question I'm going to apologize for the uh, response <laughs> I made, which wasn't actually thinking about medication and pregnancy, it was almost like it was a question of almost like we're going to talk about mental health, but we're not going to talk about preg- med- medication at all. OK, OK. Yeah, yeah. No, that wasn't. Was, it wasn't just so it's my mistake, your mistake. Here we are. Here we are. OK, <laughs> so um, psychi- so because there is a psychologist on your team and a psychiatrist. And is there a difference between when someone needs to see a psychiatrist in terms of in terms of perinatal mental health or or a psychologist? How 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 do those things interlap? I suppose the first thing to say is that my team is made up of a psychologist, social worker, myself, another psychiatrist okay. in training, um, mental health midwives who are midwives with specialist training in, in mental health and clinical nurse specialists who would be nurses going from, from who've trained in psychiatry and now specifically working in this area. And truthfully, when someone's referred to our team, 80%, and we get over a thousand women in the hospital referred. So one in nine women will come to my team during during pregnancy. And when we get someone who's referred to the team, 80, 85% 
we will decide anybody on the team can see because the majority of the issues span the whole field. What kind it's, of things are they? Well, everything could be, it could be social issues. Okay. For starters. So it could be house, homelessness. Right, it could okay. be an abusive relationship. It could be no support. It could be you know, basic things, financial, yes. financial difficulties, homelessness, a refugee, who knows. So there are social issues that may be the key. So we, so when I see a referral that says this, such, um, such and such a person has anxiety in pregnancy, well, I don't know. And so we all have to be able to meet with someone and say, recognize there may be social issues. There certainly may be psychological issues. There may well be spiritual issues. Somebody may be grieving for the loss of a baby or loss of the mother. It may be grief issues. It may be... Um, or it may be that the person is on medication before um, and they're looking specific advice about that. Or they may have, we may get a letter, quite a comprehensive letter saying this person has some maybe psychiatric diagnosis and is on medication, but has major social issues and also has major psychological issues and trauma from the past and is actually now very fearful of having a baby and is terrified of, of birth. So I want all of the team, we all of our team are trained to be able to see someone. And maybe after that, that same person, because we know the continuity of care is very important, that same person may continue to see the person through pregnancy or we'll bring it back and out to the team and say, actually, maybe it should be better the psychologist sees or if, if she hasn't been the first person to see or um, some one of the midwives may say, well, Anthony, will you see? Because actually, I think maybe this is somebody, this is somebody where medication is more of an issue or a diagnosis. Or it may be actually the key issue here, maybe the most useful thing we could do here is get one of the mental health midwives to see because it's really about birth and maybe a traumatic previous delivery and being able to talk about the, uh, and support the woman through the, the physical <laughs> challenges of pregnancy, birth and afters um, and, and breastfeeding, etc. That may be most useful. So we, we try and make a, a sense then of who would be the most useful person to see. So when you say one in nine women who come through the hospital um, are referred to your team, is that, so eight out of nine women aren't, is it something to do with, like, is it very often previous, sorry, my question is, is that person, does that person have to say to the doctor that they see, I need this service or is it up to the doctor to say, look, do you know that this service is available? I see that you're struggling or would you consider, how does it come about that they come to see you? They can be referred by anyone, mm -hmm. the GP, the public health nurse, after the birth, for example, their social worker, their dietitian, their physiotherapist, their midwife, okay, so anybody. Or if they've been with us before, they can self-refer because they'll contact and say, look, I, I saw X in previous pregnancy. Can I, um, I know I need to come back again. My, I can't see my GP at the moment. Could I have an appointment made? Of course. Yes. OK, great. Um, I'm going to get on to the, some of the questions now, and I think that will open up discussions and, and, and further things. So we'll start with... Um, I have a question for Professor Anthony McCarthy. Do people have different reactions to pregnancy after loss? I have had two first trimester miscarriages, which really shook my world, particularly the first one. And I've been anxious and a wreck in my current pregnancy. I'm in my third trimester now. Others I know brushed it off once they got past the point that they previously miscarried. The pandemic doesn't help. I fear that this will continue into the baby's life because I'm so afraid of him dying. Can you please keep this anonymous? Okay, that's... Uh, um question I certainly meet with regularly. I mean, the opening part of a question is, do people react differently? And the answer to that, of course, is of course. The question is why? Yes, OK. Why do they react differently? And what is this um, woman's specific 
worry about or what's, how is she dealing with it? Let's take something simple or not simple, very common like a miscarriage. Um, the reactions to miscarriages are very complex. Um, and when I see somebody's had a miscarriage before, even if they haven't mentioned it as being a psychological issue, if I'm seeing it for someone else, I will always ask them a question about, tell me, how, how did that a miscarriage affect you? Um, and the key question often there is not at what stage of the pregnancy they lost the baby, but my question is often, to what extent was that a pregnancy that you lost? Um, or was it a baby? Yes, OK. Or the idea of a baby? Because sometimes it's... I mean, so sometimes that's a psychological factor rather than a actual physical embryo stage. Like that's how the person perceived it. That's the starting point. Okay. <laughs> so, the, so the starting point is, um, I mean, for some women, they're delighted they had a miscarriage. They think you're terminating the pregnancy. It's a huge relief. Okay. For someone else, it's, oh my God, I can become pregnant. That's brilliant. Right. <laughs> okay, I lost it early, but you know, my sister lost one and so did my mother and then they went on to have five. And so, the, oh, I can become pregnant and I had, I had um, polycystic ovarian disease and somebody who I might have difficulty getting pregnancy. Oh, I'm, now I'm pregnant. Great. For others, it was the beginning of a pregnancy and they lost it and um, it's the physicality that may be very difficult. The bleeding, the amount of bleeding, the miscarriage may go on for weeks. For others, it's, it's no, I lost, I lost a pregnancy and that's fine. But if they say I lost, I lo no, that was a baby. Well, then I say, well, tell me about that. And where's your baby now? If you've lost a baby, um, I'll maybe be asking um, sometimes, you know, well, it, it could have been five weeks or it could have been 13 weeks. And it doesn't matter. It could be saying, well, does the baby have a name? Mm -hmm. um, how the person perceives it is, is incredibly important. So sometimes the loss, and it may be for this, this, this particular um, person who's written this question that she's had two miscarriages and it's, it's not the specific losses there, or it may be, but it's more of the fear of losing this one. That's the key. Whereas for others, it's the previous loss. Um, so, I mean, like, I, I, yeah, we could have the whole <laughs> time at this. Yes. So, for, so for example, I, let me give you two examples. One might be the, the physicality of the loss of it. So one woman who, who miscarried and for her it was um, a little baby. Um, but more than that, it was she caught it. She was on the toilet and, and, and she caught it in her hand and she felt it and she looked at it and she didn't know what to do with it. And she she bled a lot, but she held it and then she wrapped it in in some tin foil and she didn't know what to do with it. So she went out into the garden that evening and she actually buried it in the garden and then she went to bed. But then she woke up about half an hour into during the night. And thought, oh, my God, a fox might get it or a bird might get it. She went out again and she she went out, and she dug it up and she put it in, and it's in the freezer and it's still in the freezer now when I see her three years later in her next pregnancy and she doesn't know what to do with it. Um, so there can be that mm -hmm. um, or it can be um, I remember seeing someone who's from a very scientific, rational background many, many years ago who um, um, I was seeing her in a second pregnancy and she was expecting she did a miscarriage in her first pregnancy. She was now in her second pregnancy. She was 20 weeks into the pregnancy and she was um, raging with herself because she was crying all the time. She was upset. She couldn't attach to her new baby. It was all to do with this miscarriage she'd had before. And that was really irritating and her annoying her because that's the way she felt. And I said, well, why do you feel so annoyed? And she said, well, it was just a pregnancy. And I said, OK, but I keep having dreams about babies that are dead. And I think that's ridiculous. And it's not this one because I'm not even thinking about this one. It's the other one. Somehow I'm, I'm linked to that one in some way. And it's really annoying me and it's irritating me that I'm losing control like this. And I said, well, tell me about that miscarriage. And she told me this story 
Um, and I'm changing it slightly, but this is many, many years ago, I heard this particular story. She said, I'm not linked. Because I often say to somebody, if they have had a baby, the business carries being a baby, where's that baby? And sometimes they say, it's inside me, it's in my heart, or it's in Holy Angels Plot in Glass Nevin, but it's also in my heart, or I talk to it, or, or, or whatever. But she said, it's just gone. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay, but you keep dreaming about it. Anyway, she didn't find me particularly helpful that day. <laughs> But I did suggest that if she was so upset and crying all the time, she couldn't connect to this baby, she should come back and see me. And she, she, she did tell me she didn't, think, didn't know that was going to be useful. Yeah. So she came back the next day and she was really, really upset. And uh, she came in to see me and said she was very rational. Her husband was a physicist and they were sort of you know, very, very rational scientific people. But she was, I had this, it doesn't often come out as easy as, as well as this. And this almost sounds like a, a movie script I'm describing, yes. but it's the truth. She, um, she told me that, um, well, look, she said, it's ridiculous. I'm crying all the time because I, I know it's all true that this dream I had last night because you asked me about my dreams the last night. I had this stupid dream last night. It's got nothing to do with the baby whatsoever, but it's just on my mind. And I kept thinking about coming in here today. And I'm just really furious again. <laughs> so I said, tell me about the dream. And she said, well, it's just a ridiculous dream. It was, it was a dream. I was in Wembley Stadium. David Bowie was there. There was just me and David Bowie. He was up on the stage. And he was singing and I was screaming at him to shut the fuck up and stop, stop, stop singing. So I said, to her, what was he singing? And she said, well, he was singing that stupid song, that song Major Tom and was going through my mind, ground control of Major Tom. So it's not often it works like this, but I said to her, what's that song about? And she said, well, it's about, um, I mean, it's about an astronaut who takes a spacewalk and the cord gets cut and he disappears off into outer space. Quite literal. So I said, oh. Is she having these realisations as you are saying it or she's still being scientific about it? I think it's become, it's getting there. Okay. So I said to her, cord. She didn't say string or rope. She said, I said, cord. So the next time she came back to see me, she was really upset, but but she'd got there. Yeah. And she said, what she said, I realised was for all my scientific logical logical refusal of anything truthfully I've always thought I was a little boy I didn't want to admit that I didn't want to admit my husband and truthfully I've always thought he somehow I think now what I really is he was drifting out there and the only one he'd ever been connected to ever was me mm-hmm. and if I forget him it's like he's out there on his own whereas I've found a place from now I've actually decided to call him Tom <laughs> and he's in here now he's in here in my chest now and he's there and now I can get ready for the next one I mean the, coming from that it's so heartbreaking like um, so for this for that woman and for this woman do you think that coming to see someone like you to alleviate her fear that this is going to continue into the baby's life that she's so afraid since the last miscarriage do you think that see, she should be seeing someone to, to talk about these things or do people sort of process things on their own and it goes away some people process, process things on their own. Some people don't. If I go back to her particular question, she should certainly see someone because we want to talk to her about about all of that. And we want to talk to her about this pregnancy and whether it's just so normal or whether the level of anxiety and fear that she's feeling um, is uh, problematic. Can we help her with that? And sometimes also to talk about how she might be with the next baby, because sometimes we see the mothers who do become profoundly depressed after miscarriages. Mm-hmm. But particularly for someone like her, the question is how she's going to be when the baby is born, because sometimes mothers, when they've lost a baby, whether it's miscarriage, stillbirth, whatever it might be, 
and this applies to all pregnancies anyway, people often have a fantasy they're going to bond instantly with their new baby, that somehow when the baby's born, like people say, when I have the baby in my arms, it's all going to be perfect. And often it's not. I mean, this is a more general point. Um, again, it's so important. And so, women often with modern pressure on women and idealization of so many things, women often think they're supposed to have this perfect the lovely magazines say she's supposed to have this perfect bond with the baby. Yeah, yeah. Baby's born and she's supposed to have skin to skin contact and mostly they she falls madly in love and they both sail off into the sunset, a bit like the end of Beauty and the Beast. And it's just like Disney, it's fantasy. Fifteen percent of women have an ecstatic reaction. Yeah. <laughs> um, so eighty five percent do not. Eighty five do not. Forty five percent are happy. Three days later, forty percent are still feeling numb, surreal, a bit distant, fearful, anxious tiny percentage obviously are rejecting the baby and that's another matter. For somebody like her it may still take time to know this baby's alive and know this baby's real, know this baby's going to stay and sometimes women have been really anxious in pregnancy will then have that same anxious attachment after the baby that I might lose, still lose the baby. So seeing us to talk about that in advance to not be feeling guilty and bad because it doesn't matter to the baby at all if the mother doesn't love it in three days babies know nothing at that stage. So it's really, she does need to see someone and she should talk this through. And so if she's not if she's not currently see, attending the National Maternity Hospital, is there an equivalent in other maternity hospitals for you? Or, or? In all the major maternity, in all the, the large maternity hospitals, there okay. is a similar team to ours. Okay, great. Um, next question. Um, I just was wondering if you could ask Professor McCarthy about general anxiety when pregnant, but more specifically after having had an ectopic pregnancy or miscarriage. I'm now in the very early stage of pregnancy, so it's hard not to be riddled with anxiety that the same terrible outcome will happen again. I waited two years to get pregnant again um, and I can't myself get excited due to fear of loss. Any tips would be so appreciated. So it's quite similar in some ways. It's similar in some ways. Obviously, specifically with the ectopic pregnancy and ectopic pregnancy is where the the uh, fertilised little ovum has not got down to the womb. has <laughs> got stuck in the fallopian tube along the way. Um, Does that mean it's in compatible like it won't that can't it's survive it's not going to make it um, it has a, a, a risk that if it expands uh, if as it grows if it gets stuck it can rupture the fallopian tube that can sometimes be a medical emergency she could, she could bleed um, uh, seriously so that's a medical so so the, I, I obviously don't know her segments but she certainly she has lost that pregnancy she may have lost a tube um, there may be some effects on future fertility or not but I'm sure she, I hope she's been told about that um, and for her to be a bit anxious or very anxious until she's had her first scan will be entirely normal <laughs> she should be <laughs> Okay so it's a normal if reaction That's normal if she has general anxiety in the background that's another matter altogether but that's specifically with the topic that's what the question is And so any tips for dealing with that again she should, should can you get support at that from the perinatal mental health team at that stage? Well, well, I hope she's had an early, well, hopefully she's attended a maternity hospital or she's had her scan and her scan shows that actually this little ovum has gone down the fallopian tube and is now hopefully implanting itself healthily in the womb. And so she's had a good scan to see that and to realise she's not going to have another ectopic pregnancy. If her anxiety goes beyond that, then she should see, get some mental health. OK. And at what, how many weeks? Because she says she's early. Uh, when can they, when do you know if it's not ectopic? Um I'm not an obstetrician. Oh, sorry, okay. <laughs> we'll Google it. Google it. It's probably around six or something. Everything's around six or eight. Um, I'm 40 years of age and I'm trying for a baby and I was so happy to find out we were pregnant. Unfortunately, I suffered a miscarriage and lost the baby. We became pregnant naturally with no medical assistance. Should we continue to try naturally or go to a fertility clinic? I'm so f- confused. I can't seem to get much help. My AMH levels last year were carried out and was told that they're low, but all of the bloods were fine. I know that you're not an OBGYN. 
or a fertility doctor. <laughs> um, True. So I did a it's small a stint working in obstetrics and a small stint working in pediatrics before I did psychiatry. psychiatry. So I have enough basic knowledge but beyond that. No. And that's not a question for me. Yeah, no, I think this woman needs to speak to a yeah to a fertility specialist. Yes. Um, if they're listening, you can message me on Instagram and I will guide you to one of the people that we've had on already speaking about fertility. Uh, question for Professor McCarthy. I had a beautiful little girl five years ago. She's perfect. On the other hand, suffered a very traumatic birth and was in ITU asleep for three days and was in hospital for a month after having her with severe complications from her birth also affects still ongoing both mental and physical today. I was seen by a mental health doctor a month and a half after having my daughter and they said I should be fine. Five years on, I'm still suffering PTSD, self-diagnosed, reliving the trauma of her birth and have specific smells I associate with the birth, if that makes sense. Especially on her date of birth, I don't go near the hospital or town or even on the road that she was born. I don't talk about it because it was such a traumatic experience. So I'm just wondering, could Professor McCarthy have any advice on dealing with PTSD if it is PTSD? Oh, it's PTSD, all right. Sounds like it, yeah. Um, and she said she doesn't. She has difficulty talking about it. She really needs to talk about it. With like just like with her husband or with a professional. With a professional. Well, I hope. I mean, she may not be. If she's not talking to her husband, if she's not, if so. The trauma of delivery. Well, I spend every day in my job in hospital saying thanks to God I'm a man. I don't have to go through birth. <laughs> Birth is traumatic. It's traumatic to the body and it's, 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 it just is a trauma. And in the majority of times stressful. But the level of trauma, physical, emotional that she's had is, is way off the Richter scale from that point of view. Um, and whoever told her after six weeks that she would be fine. I mean, sometimes people are fine initially because the word the feelings and the anxieties and the stress often don't come for quite a while. But at that level, she should be talking to somebody. She's talking to her partner. She's talking to her mother. She's talking to anybody. She certainly should be seeing someone to talk it through. A psychologist, um, um, yeah, a psychologist or a therapist who is experienced in dealing with PTSD. Yeah. Okay. So you need to start be with talking. To so there's lots of different approaches you can. There, there's some. If she reads, any, if she googles anywhere, she'll read about CBT and psychotherapy and counselling and medication and psychiatry and all these different things. She needs to see someone who helps her guide her where's the right what's the right direction for her, but she certainly needs to start talking. Can I ask a question? Say you say this per now this person is from Kerry, but if there was if this person attended Hollow Street and mm. this happened five years ago in Hollow Street, at at what point do you sort of age out of the system? Can you come back and be like, five years ago this happened and I'm still traumatized, can I see the perinatal mental health team? Um because we're seeing a, th a, thousand a thousand women a year, we have to have limits. Of course. <laughs> and the general limit is um, six months afterwards. That having been said, if, um, so we finished after six months. On the other hand, if someone is still attending the hospital, if, some, if somebody in this situation may come back some years later looking for a debriefing. Okay. And they'll, they'll go back to, to actually look at, and sometimes can be really helpful, is getting a debriefing from the obstetric staff or the midwifery staff. Who were there on the day. Who were there on the day. Um, and that can be really important. Um, and then they may, they may, and that debriefing in itself, that talking about it, that opening it up. I mean, some women will, for example, the key trauma will, um, will be that she thought she was going to die. Okay. And because she bled so much and she saw people panicking in a room. I see, so I will have seen a number of people who where the situation actually, the debriefing and even debriefing with me where they're talking about this awful feeling they were going to die and it was a nightmare and she, they saw people panicking. And actually, I will know that although, yes, that she never even needed a blood transfusion, she thought she was bleeding to death and she wasn't. And it'll be her fear that 
about it and her imaginings about it that'll be the key. So you have to deal with that. With others, we have to deal with the actual fact that, yes, you almost did die. How do you deal with that? Some, so sometimes a debriefing of, with the obstetric staff for, star, for starters. And do you just request that? Like, can you just write and be like, can you debrief? To wherever you had the baby, you can do that. And then in our hospitals, the, the debriefing team will then sometimes say, look, I know this is beyond six months, but this woman has come to us for a debriefing. We think it'd be very helpful for her to see you. In those circumstances, we do see it. OK. Um, another question here. How safe are SSRIs in pregnancy if they're recommended? Just tell us what SSRIs are. So SSRI, SSRIs are a the, commonest, the most commonly prescribed antidepressants. Serotonin reuptake inhibitors. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> See, you, could, See, you could do the podcast, all right. Yeah. <laughs> hey. I know my way around an SSRI. So I'll just let's say that oh. much. Okay. So um, so the most commonly used antidepressants in pregnancy. So the question comes up regularly, should I use antidepressants in pregnancy or not? And it's always a question of a balance of risks. Okay. So if your anxiety, depression is of the type that medication is helpful for, necessary for, it works for you. And actually, when you're not taking it, inevitably anxiety and depression is going to come back. And if that anxiety and depression comes back in pregnancy, that's going to have effects, not just on this pregnancy, because women who are highly anxious, highly depressed in pregnancy are less likely to eat well, poorer nutrition, more likely to have stress hormones, more likely to have earlier deliveries, smaller babies, maybe go back to smoking because I don't want to take my antidepressant to go back to smoking or I'm drinking or other unhealthy things or eating less well or whatever it might be. So to weigh all of that up against what are the risks of being on them in pregnancy? Any, anybody can Google um, medicinesinpregnancy.org, a, a website called Bumps. Great, great, best use of medicines in pregnancy. Bumps are best use of medicines, pre- oh, medicines cool. in yeah. pregnancy. Uh, Bumps, um, alternatively, www.medicinesinpregnancy.org. Um, our other websites, and, and, and it'll, it'll tell you the following, that almost certainly SSRIs in pregnancy uh, are not going to increase your risk of miscarriage stillbirths or anything like that. There may be a very small, very small risk with uh, of um, a slight increase in cardiac abnormalities, but that's probably, we're not even clear about that. It must be very small if it's there. Beca- and we can't say, is that actually because of the SSRI or, beca- or because if I have 100 women who have major anxiety and compare them to 100 women who do not have anxiety and are not on SSRIs, there are other factors. Women who have major anxiety are more likely to be smokers, are more likely to have many, many other factors that might actually slightly increase the risk as well. So generally, when I'm to say, if you need this, this medication and it's really helped you, and when you come off it, you're in trouble, not just with this pregnancy and the baby, but also maybe you find I'll have a woman saying, you know, I stopped my antidepressants because my GP told me to, but I now I've hit my three-year-old for the first time ever. Right, okay. Okay. The stress. Stay on the medication. And if you're on SSRIs and you get pregnant, yes, is that something that because you're on medication you would be seen by the team to assess what you're on whether you can stay on it and that might be need to be changed or well whoever's prescribing for it hopefully um, any woman of childbearing years who's going on antidepressant the, the question should be are you going to get pregnant and hopefully the prescriber will have discussed that with them and say right. well look if you do get pregnant don't, there's no panic here yes okay um, so, so many women will have already been reassured by whoever prescribed in the first place other women will not have had that reassurance will not have had that discussion in which case we're very happy to see them and sometimes I see where some women a small number referred to us in pregnancy in advance because they'd be on complicated medications and they will refer to us for preconceptual advice okay taking a break from the episode to bring you an ad because this podcast is only possible because of our sponsor supporting our sponsor supports the podcast 
and let me tell you about who they are. Rockwell's financial planning service is designed for anyone who feels as if they kind of need to just put a shape on their finances. I don't know if you're like me, you kind of feel like, oh, my finances are all over the place. I need to kind of start adulting. This is the service for you. Whether you're like a senior executive in a multinational company or a small business owner or just a young couple looking to get a head start in your financial planning, a single person who wants to make plans for their future. So they consider themselves financial doers rather than financial planners, which I really like because it's active. It's not just like um, namby-pamby sort of making a plan. doesn't matter where you are in the country. They're happy to help you in person or over Zoom. Pensions and investments are really important, but they're absolutely useless without knowing why you're using them and what you're using them for. They are in the outcomes business. They are in the business of results. So it's not just about the plan, it's about the action. So they use this like award-winning investment advice to help their clients achieve their goals. And they have a special offer for you listening right now, for Basically listeners. If you go to rockwellfinancial.ie forward slash basically, you can book a complimentary financial planning session today. You'll get a cash flow model which outlines any gaps in your finances and they'll give you the first steps to achieving your specific goals. I highly recommend Rockwell and I think as a Basically listener, you should definitely check it out. It's free. It's going to put you on the right path to getting your finances in order. That's it. Go to rockwellfinancial.ie forward slash basically. Just taking a break from my own podcast to tell you about another podcast on the network that I think you should listen to. It's called Double Love. Do you have hair like spun gold? Are you tanned, energetic and a perfect size six? Well, neither of the hosts of that podcast, Karen Moynihan and Anna Carey. They dive into the sensational 1980s book series and explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High. Have you watched Sweet Valley High? I have. It's it's a really funny podcast and really, um, what's the word, like nostalgic, taking a comical look at that show that we all watched when we were kids. They recently interviewed Amy Danless and Michael Pearl, who played the characters Enid and Winston in Sweet Valley High. So it's definitely one to watch if you want to go down that 90s nostalgia rabbit hole. Give it a try and let me know what you think. This is how it's always been. Double Love is a podcast in which we explore the strange and terrifying world of Sweet Valley High, book by book. Join me, Anna Carey. And me, Karen Moynihan as we revisit one of the maddest series of books ever written or ghostwritten. If you ever read about Elizabeth and Jessica, the perfect blonde Wakefield twins, then you might enjoy listening to us absolutely tearing them to shreds. Affectionately, of course. Of course. And even if you didn't, there's still plenty of drama, kidnapping, stolen boyfriends and school dances to entertain you. Find us on the Headstuff Podcast Network and wherever you get your podcasts. So while I have you, I'm going to take the opportunity to um, take you hostage for a minute and tell you about the merchandise that we are selling. We have notebooks and pens, which are branded with the basically branding and you should buy them. You should buy them because it's a lovely notebook. Who doesn't need a notebook? If you are a Headstuff podcast member, if you buy the notebook, you get the pen for free. It supports me. It supports the podcast. It supports the producers, the people who work on the show and means that we can continue to make these podcasts and give them to you for free. If you want to become a Headstuff podcast member, if you get a lot from the podcast and you think, God, I'd like to support Stephanie and the podcast, you can become a Headstuff podcast member for €5 plus that. uh, Or you can give more if you want to. Go to headstuffpodcast.com and you can click register there and you pick a podcast. You can pick up to three podcasts. If you pick three podcasts, what happens there is that the €5 that you're giving gets split between the three podcasts that you're supporting. 
or you can pick just one podcast say you pick my podcast then you'll get my bonus material for free and all of the bonus material for all of the other podcasts on the network so it's a really really good deal five euro all of these special podcasts so if you want to do that do it I'll be very very grateful the people who are in the community the Headstuff podcast members are my favourite people they support the podcast they mean that you can listen to this podcast for free it's five euro a month I'm going to stop talking now but I really appreciate your support thank you oh and also if you cannot afford to support the podcast but you want to support the podcast you can also give us a five star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast leave us a good review or share the podcast with two other people that's it just send the podcast to two other people who will listen to it who you think will benefit from it that helps to get our listeners up which helps us get sponsorship it's all how it works and uh, yeah I'd be really grateful if you do that too bye can you have a successful in inverted commas and enjoyable breastfeeding journey po- um, no sorry can a successful and enjoyable breastfeeding journey trigger postpartum depression? If so, is it triggered from hormones or pure exhaustion or perhaps both? So I think she's having a fine breastfeeding journey, but she's feeling like she might be suffering from postpartum depression. Possibly the most common thing I have to say in my clinic is, what is postnatal depression? <laughs> okay. And what is it? Because I don't know what it is. Postpartum depression is a very, very useful label that says that um, mental health, the mental health effects of pregnancy um, are can be profound that 60% of mothers struggle after the birth of a baby um, 10% get a, a label of being of having postnatal depression and for 3% that's serious but the idea that postnatal depression that is a thing is, is, is the error here okay one woman is stressed one woman is exhausted one woman is despairing one woman is highly anxious one woman is grieving. One woman is grieving that it was a little girl and she wanted a little boy. Somebody else is distressed because um, she didn't want a baby in the first place. Someone so the umbrella else is, term is unhelpful. Umbrella term is unhelpful. It's really what's what's going on for her. So her own question is the right question. Is it because I'm tired and exhausted and I need somebody to actually to help me sleep and <laughs> help yes. me get some sleep at night? And actually, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for somebody to give a bottle so I can have one night's sleep and recover or or whatever. Or what's the story here behind behind it? Why has this happened to her? Because the key question I always have to see with anybody is why is this happening to you? Yeah. And why now? OK, uh, well, this one then kind of follows on. What are the main reasons for postnatal depression occurring? So we've kind of just answered that, which is that they're specific to the individual and can like, is it a hormonal thing or is it like, is, is can it be hormonal? So when I lecture medical students on this, I'll give you my, my brief three minutes on this. OK. Um, Lack of sleep. <laughs> um, physically, there are effects. So physically, there's the birth, the effect of birth. We're assuming that we're talking just purely post that she was absolutely brilliantly fine until the moment of birth. And that's and she was absolutely life was absolutely perfect before. She's never been depressed, never been anxious, wanted the baby, everything's happy. And of course, that's not the case for most of us. After the birth of a baby, if it's a purely after the birth of the baby thing, I say, OK, well, what happened with the birth itself? The, the, the birth, her expectation of the birth, the, the trauma of the birth are not the support, she, the, the physical side of it. Is she bleeding? Is she sore? Is she still in pain? Is she exhausted? All of the physical side of it. Is she breastfeeding? Any complications of that? Infections? God knows what. Psychologically, none of us have a clue before we have our first baby. So the psychological side of it. Uh, it may just it may be she didn't want a baby she wasn't ready for a baby possibly the most important question I ask people is about their own personal history because truthfully one second before the birth of our first baby don't know who we are we're clueless 
Because one second before the birth of our first baby, no matter how much we think we're prepared, the word mother for each and every one of us means our mother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and father for each and every one of us means our father. And for our partner, if we have one, mother and father have two totally separate meanings. And one second after the birth of a baby, we have shifted a whole generation just like that. Where the word mother means her, <laughs> father, him, grandmother, grandfather, and our partner is the same. And with that comes the whole question, the transgenerational question, which is, well, what is it to be a mother? What's your expectations of motherhood? What's your own experience in motherhood and fatherhood? And how is that going to play into how you're going to be a mother? Because we learn, we go to school to learn English and maths and French, and we have driving lessons and we have football lessons and we get trained to do all sorts of things in life. But who trains us to be a mother and a father? What's well, it there? seems more and more that it's Instagram. And I think that's creating a pressure for people because but Instagram it's not a real it's not reality. It's, it's not reality. And actually, the much deeper imprint way before Instagram has been our own life experience from your own the moment not of being mothered and fathered. Yes. Okay. And that deep experience, which is just deeply inside us. Yeah. <laughs> Instagram, Instagram being a teacher. <laughs> Sorry. Instagram generalizes all over the place with people's one specific experience. And the reality is everyone has our own experience and our own history. And it's not even a real experience. It's a photograph or a video. True. Um, hi, Stephanie. I have a few questions for Professor McCarthy. How to get your body ready for another pregnancy after miscarriage? Any hormonal tests recommended? How to deal with anxiety in pregnancy, especially surrounding another miscarriage? I'm actually having a Zoom discussion with Anthony's team next week, so I'm <laughs> glad to have gained the courage to ask for help. <laughs> well, well done you. We're sorry for laughing, but it's just timely. You'll probably have had your Zoom discussion when this comes out, and I hope it went well. But yeah, do you have any recommendations for like getting your mind and body ready for another pregnancy after miscarriage? I mean, to a certain extent, we're, we've covered the question of the miscarriage already. It all depends on what the miscarriage was like for her. Is, yes, it, okay. is it the physicality, the emotional, et cetera, et cetera, getting her body well? Who gets it? How do you get your body well for pregnancy, full stop? Um, her general anxiety, generalized anxiety. Again, I, I'm not a generalist. Yes, okay. So you need specific... <laughs> I'm not too worried about diagnoses, actually. Okay. I mean, diagnoses are there, but I want to know her particular experience, her particular anxiety, what sort of anxiety was it been there all her life? Is it there now? Is it about particular things? And then related to where she's, what's happened to her and where she wants to go now and her supports, her relationship. We want to get the full picture here before coming up with a, a generalised recommendation. So this is another question from a listener. Um, I am trying to conceive at the moment through IVF, I'm in a same-sex marriage. I have previous sexual trauma and I have a lot of anxiety around everything that comes with pregnancy, including surgery if needed, sedation, anaesthetic, um, exam, physical exams. I'm extremely claustrophobic, but I want to enjoy it and be excited. Myself and my wife have always wanted children. After her first trying with IVF for a few years, it's now my turn, but it terrifies me. It's getting me down now as I feel pressure from myself, not my wife that if I don't do it, I'll regret it and we're only at the start of the journey with me. I do see a therapist and I'm working through the ta- trauma, but I find it's not going anywhere at the moment. My question is, is there a low dose anxiety tablet that I should be taking during pregnancy? Is this fear normal? Any help? Greatly appreciated. Okay, wow. Um, so way before talking about a tablet. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would want. So if, if we got that referral to our team, I would probably we would probably say, I wonder will one of the mental health midwives see her first because, um, OK, there's a myth that she's going to enjoy the pregnancy. I mean, let's let's you know, you might, you might not. You might be sick. You might be. I mean, 
I, I'm always slightly worried when people want to enjoy everything <laughs> rather than saying, actually, this, this might be a difficult journey. We would do our best to help her. The most important thing would be for her to see probably the one, the midwives, to let's look at her fears, particularly around internal examinations, about delivery, about the, the, the whole physicality of it because of her, her physical trauma before. And I think, I mean, sometimes we'll get people to see the anaesthetist before. We certainly make sure it's flagged with the obstetric team. Um, I was just talking to my mental health midwife colleague um, this morning with a, you know, a particular person who had really traumatic childhood surgical experiences. And for her, the idea of becoming pregnant and having a baby was just, I mean, after all the surgery of her childhood, it was just a nightmare. So we we saw her, we made sure she saw, she got the, the best midwifery support, the best obstetric support that her particular concerns were, were addressed as much as we can, we could. Was she anxious coming into hospital to have her baby? Hugely. <laughs> Did the experience go much better than she expected? Absolutely. Yeah. A hundred times better than she expected. It was no doddle. It was no, it was never easy, but it was so much better than she ever expected. The nightmare she expected didn't happen because we'd been able to anticipate because of the awful stuff she'd been through before. So probably for this listener, like expecting to be excited and enjoy it with your history is probably a lot to ask of yourself. But far too much. And she, and she may be seeing a counsellor, but certainly if she becomes pregnant, she should see again the team in the hospital to, to try and defuse all of those concerns of the idea that she's just on her own in all of this because she's, she's not on her own. In and is it life. possible that so she says she's currently seeing a counsellor. Mm-hmm. Can that person communicate her story to you guys or does she have to go and say it all again? Oh, she could communicate that story, but it'd be better for it'd be best for her to to actually. I mean, I I, if I see anybody, and I see a letter from anybody else. To a certain extent, I read letters or reports from somebody else. It, 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 it's just a piece. Of, I read it, but I actually want to hear the person in the. Of own course, words. but it gives a context. She's not oh, just yes. coming in like any other. Oh God, no! Yeah. Yes, we want to get the context, of course. Um, could you please ask Professor McCarthy about fear or phobia of being pregnant? I've heard stories and have friends who have described their pregnancies and birth stories. Um, they love it but it terrifies me between the ordeal of being pregnant and not sleeping for nine months and then going through a potentially difficult birth tearing etc I'm really terrified of pregnancy I'm also afraid due to my mental health that my hormones will cause anxiety and depression to skyrocket and what can I do in this regard okay um, so she could google tocophobia the technical term for it oh it's really a thing oh yeah tocophobia yeah fear of T-O-C-O phobia is a fear in toco's pregnancy so tocophobia, she can read it, she can Google that and she'll get a lot of information in reading that. So that fear um, of pregnancy is not uncommon. Um, fear of pregnancy, fear of birth. I mean, unlike the, the previous person who wants to enjoy everything, this, and I'm saying, okay, well, I, let's, let's, let's say that might be challenging. This woman, it's all going to be a nightmare. It's all terrible. Yes. <laughs> we need to look at it in the opposite. You know, let's, let's look at it realistic. Let's, exp- let's explore that um, uh, with her again. Um, so she's pregnant again. She's somebody we get. Um, women like this are are very frequently referred to our team again to say, okay, well, let's look at what this is. Uh, this is this is about, and again, try and support it through as best as best we can. Um, and so, if someone is, if say this person became pregnant and they have a huge fear of it, do you see people like throughout the pregnancy, like yeah. every until the end, or is it so like we f- see a small number of women for preconceptual counselling? Okay. Um. Um. Other than that, we will see anyone who is pregnant and attending the hospital yeah. <laughs> through the pregnancy and for up to six months afterwards. Okay. Um, and, and all major hospital, maternity hospitals yes. have a version of you. Um, so do you think, so uh, there's a lot of questions in here and I'm just going to sum up because a lot of them are similar. Anxiety about something going wrong with the baby uh, or the pregnancy. 
is that that seems to be a general worry like there's probably very few women who don't have that anxiety at some point in the pregnancy mm-hmm. and so at what point I guess there's two questions at what point does it become something that needs to be seen by the team and if it's something that's just all women deal with that can't be enough of an excuse to be like so go and deal with it by yourself so what are the things that women can do to help manage that anxiety because the thing about anxiety is that it's possible like you've just said you could go for 40 how long is a pregnancy 40 weeks you hopefully hopefully you could go to 40 weeks and you could still have a stillbirth Mm -hmm. you could lose the the pregnancy at four weeks six weeks at any time so this is like a really sustained anxiety for women so what can they do to like not live in anxiety for nine months so I'm an infuriating, infuriating person to be um, to be talking to. For, it's because for, you're a man. <laughs> you never had to do it. Well, oh no! Well that, well, that wasn't just. But I mean, <laughs> no, I'm infuriating because I don't take generalized. I, I find generalized advice very difficult to give. Okay, so each person's anxieties will be. Yeah. So as you said, every woman is if if she's not slightly worried about the outcome of her pregnancy, I think ooh, she's a bit detached. Right. Okay. <laughs> oh, she doesn't think anything could go wrong. Okay. Um, Whereas if she's totally preoccupied with it, that's a different matter. And if she's totally preoccupied with it, is she the sort of person who gets totally preoccupied with everything in her life? In fact, anxiety attaches herself to millions of things every single day of the week. Or is it a very specific thing in pregnancy? Has she had a stillbirth before? Yes. Has she had a miscarriage before? Are there very specific things that are... that are? Um, and I want to get to the individual story or the individual person. But what does the individual... like? Is, why? Is the treatment for that or the help for that different in every single case? Or is it always... Ex- there are generalised approaches. So, I mean, and throughout life, there was, you know, we could, I could recommend mindfulness and um, you know, I know you had Harry Barry on recently we could talk about mindfulness and we could talk about stress management techniques and I'm, I'm not here to you know and everybody can Google all sorts of things or you can see an, a, a CBT therapist or you can see this that and the other if somebody comes to see me I want to work out what's the right approach for them specifically right, okay. so for one woman they may just need yes who's, okay, somebody saw yesterday I, I stopped doing my meditation because I was puking my guts out now I'm on caravan the puking has stopped and now I'm going back to my meditation again I'll be better someone else said us who's had a stillbirth. Well, it was, it was a stillbirth because a cord was around her neck, the baby's neck. And when I saw her after the most important thing actually with her was not some reassuring her. It was actually connecting it to the trauma for her of finding her brother hanging in a barn two years before. And her question was, did my baby want to die? Did he strangle himself? Mm-hmm. That's what I wanted to deal with. Okay. Or is this someone who was on antidepressants? So that's a very st- individual story someone else has stopped their antidepressants and that was actually really the rest was alright and that was actually really helping their anxiety before and actually their anxiety attached to everything and actually they went back on the SSRI and I could deal with their anxiety about being on SSRI actually they may be much better Okay. <laughs> or they may need to see the, the midwife or the mental health nurse to deal with something else specifically but in all cases if someone is pregnant it, well in most cases there is a mental health team available to them at the hospital so they should just say so is is it a case of so you go in for a scan is it anyone that you say to like the person who scans you say look I'm actually feeling really anxious about all this is there someone that I can talk to anybody who has a booking visit in, in a maternity hospital is supposed to be asked that question oh okay okay great well so answer the question honestly and hopefully <laughs> they should they be asked about diabetes blood pressure family history of this family history of twins any mental health issues Okay, so this is a question um, from a person who is single and using IVF and she's trying for another baby and she finds that her thoughts are drifting towards the negative. What if I lose the next embryo and the next? How will I cope? And her question is about her family and friends not understanding because they've never had a miscarriage or gone through the trauma that is IVF. How do you advise women who 
don't have that support, you know, at home, like how, how can you communicate to your family who haven't been through this, that actually this is quite intense? And I suppose other women would have the same question, be like, how do I communicate with my husband that like as a woman, this is a very intense thing that I'm going through? Okay. <laughs> um, I was laughing um, just, just so somebody said to me this morning, um, um, not for the first time. What's it like to be a man in your job? <laughs> I, say, I know I'm doing OK when somebody says to me, you know, men in general don't understand. They just don't or, or you know, men don't. And they're actually talking to me at the same time and trying to get me to understand. Um, so how do you explain anything to your mother? If you can't get something through to your mother <laughs> or your father or your partner or your best friend. Um, that, so then I want to talk about that. So. I mean, to a certain extent, if somebody's had a miscarriage or a loss or and is fearful in pregnancy, maybe nobody can nobody else can really understand unless they've been through it. But sometimes even if they've been through it, well, they had their experience and that's different. OK. So I again, I mean, I see many people talking to me like this and I, say, okay, I want to work out. OK. I mean, first I go back to the journey. She's on her own. Was that by choice or not? Um, her anticipation in advance. If it's a miscarriage she can't talk about um, or the loss of another, how does she talk about herself? Talk to me about it. Because sometimes people just actually, I can't talk to other people about it, but actually they can hardly talk to themselves about it. Okay, yeah. So it's so <laughs> shut down. It's so shut down or they can't find their own language for it. And it's something around that. And then, okay, or maybe they're hoping and it's it's an ongoing wish. Oh my, like so... <sighs> like we talked about causes of postnatal depression earlier on sometimes people who've had really bad experiences with their mother bad relations with who've never felt understood always imagine someone, if I have a baby finally we're going to link in some way she's finally going to understand and actually her job is to finally recognise no she was never going to understand you so for this woman somehow she's hoping to someone out there there never has been and maybe it's because that early experience of never being able to talk to anybody because of her parent, her, her upbringing. That's why she's actually on her own as well. Because again, she can't or she isn't with someone. Who, she doesn't connect with people, someone who's really going to get it. And that's how did she come to terms that she is on her own with this? And there isn't. And how did she come to terms with that? And how is she going to be then with the baby? And it's, it's, it's a discussion around that rather than yeah, some more generalised thing. Let's talk about her history, her story. Um. Does the perinatal mental health team support women who are considering a termination or who have gone through a termination? Okay. Um, certainly, I mean, um, most women who are considering a termination don't need to see anybody from, from yes, the mental, okay. mental health department. That's nothing to do with... Um, it's, that's, that's their own question. They, they will go to my options, of course. Um, some women are certainly referred to us because of the trauma of it or because of the doubts of it or under the legislation if they get to certain stages of pregnancy where they're beyond um, uh, the criteria where they may need. So, for example, I will have seen somebody recently who um, uh, was beyond the stage where um, she could have a termination in Ireland still legally. So that's 12 weeks. Um, but there was a clear mental health issue involved um, and seeing her to assess that she fulfilled the criteria um, was certainly a very appropriate thing to do. Specifically in our hospital, um, if women have, 
for example, babies with major congenital malformations, etc. And if they're going through termination, um, there's a specific counsellor specifically with the the fetal medicine department to to deal with that. Um, but sometimes um, uh, if, if that person's not there or if if there's more, yeah, if we have to get anywhere near the, le- the legislation, well, then they're seen by me, actually, because it has to be a consultant. OK. Um, I adore my children, but the change to my body since having children is so hard. I feel like I've aged 10 years and I've lost my identity. Is this something that you often hear about? Oh, yes. <laughs> identity and body, it depends on it. Well, so body changes, yes. And how do you adjust to that? And how does anybody adjust to body changes? And... Um, um, you'd be aware. You may be aware of the term matrescence out there, where in the yeah. same way women have to adjust to their body in adolescence. Matrescence is changing to the body of pregnancy and after, and that's an adjustment. Linking her body to identity, of course, for all of us, part of her identity is related to our body. But is that the only part of her identity? Is the is her identity lost? Actually, just being a mother of three children, is it beyond her body as well? So we certainly hear it on both sides, body issues, but identity issues, huge. How do you adjust to this whole new role in your life that you really were clueless about as you joyfully head into that journey? And if someone is see, is under your care before they have, like, is that work that could be done before the child comes to prepare you? Or is it something that is so individual for each person that if it comes up and you're having trouble with it at that point, post birth, you can come back and see the team if you're having struggles with it? I mean, we'll see any, anybody we've seen during pregnancy, we will see after, afterwards, if, if necessary anyway. Identity is seldom something that comes up in pregnancy, certainly in the first pregnancy. They're to, if they're talking about loss of identity, it's usually from a previous pregnancy. We're all, I mean, we're all, most, most people are very naive in life about how any particular experience is going to really affect them until afterwards. And they say, oh my God, why didn't I think about that? So identity questions... So some women say, I never want to be a mother and now I'm pregnant because my partner wants to be pregnant or accidentally or I'm going to stick with it. But oh God, they're, they're not using the word identity, but they're talking about what's this going to do to my life. Mm-hmm. The word identity tends to come up much more afterwards when I really didn't expect this is going to take up so much of my life. I didn't realise I was going to be such a different person. I didn't realise my life was going to be so constricted this way. I didn't realise I was, you know, and the identity comes up question. Typically later, very few are sitting on, on, their, on early pregnancy anticipating it. <laughs> Okay. Because it doesn't feel so real until it's actually real. Until you, you as any mother knows, until you're doing the job 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, and even in your sleep, your radar is on for the baby. That's that's when the question of identity comes up. Thank you so much for answering all those questions. Is there anything else that you think people should know or keep in mind, or anything you want to leave people with before we finish up? I think the thing that I've taken is that at any booking appointment during a pregnancy, someone should ask you how you're getting on emotionally and if they don't there is a team like you can offer that information and a team there is a team in most hospitals that can assist you I think a lot of people don't know that that service is available actually Yeah, I mean I think absolutely that's really really important um, but also maybe one of the ongoing message would be that hopefully having children is the most well it is the most joyful meaningful important thing we do in our lives. It's also one of the most stressful, difficult, demanding and challenging things <laughs> we do in our lives. And let's forget the idealization. Let's forget uh, those sort of things. Positive, hopeful, yes, but real and get real help and real support for the real difficulties and challenges that are there if you feel you need it. Professor Anthony McCarthy from the National Maternity Hospital thank you so very much thank you for listening to another episode of Basically we'll be back next week with another one of your mental health topics answering listener questions 
Uh, we are produced by Julie Hassett. Our music is by Only Ruin. Our graphic design is by Carlo Gara. And we are part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. See you next week. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com.